This episode is sponsored by Schneider Electric. Climate change is here, and so is the requirement to understand and report the risks that it brings to your business. As your partner in sustainability, Schneider Electric can help you navigate the winds of change. To see how, visit se.com forward slash climate risk. From GreenBiz Group, welcome to this week's edition of 350. I'm Heather Clancy, greeting you today from chilly northern New Jersey. Joel McCower is off this week for a little R&R. On this week's edition, could insurers pull the plug on renewable energy? Would you buy carbon credits for capping oil wells? And 11 members of the GreenBiz community weigh in with their hopes for 2023. We're in a reflective mood this week on GreenBiz 350. It's December 16th, 2022. Welcome to the final episode of Green Biz 350 for the year. Joining me today as co-host from Oakland, California is senior editor, Jesse Klein. Hey, Jesse. Hi, Heather. How goes it? It's December. It's It always feels like weird, This these kind of in-between weeks before the end of the holidays and, you know, like before the start of them. It's just like weird. Yeah, it's always <laughs> How are you doing? My, it's always around my birthday, so that's I have other reasons to feel weird. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. Ms. Sagittarius, happy birthday. Thank happy you. birthday. <laughs> we cel- I know you celebrated last week, but happy birthday again. <laughs> Thank you. So what's on your mind in these waning days of December? Well, I went into the office for the first time in a couple months this week, and I think it was really fun. We had a lot of Green Biz staff in, so I think I'm definitely going to make that a goal for 2023 of trying to go into the office more regularly because it is a fun atmosphere when we get enough people there. That is true, and we have a great collaborative team, and I, I wish I could be there more often. Maybe I'll have to get down to Washington, D.C. to see Leah and LaRonda, and, or maybe go into New York City again to see my friends there because I uh, did that recently. That was fun. Any other personal goals for the next 12 months? Oh my, I always make really small, like easy goals that I can kind of check them off the list. But I don't know, I'm just starting to scope through, you know, Yosemite wilderness permits, want to do some, do some, get some stuff ready for that. What about you? Anything you want to do in the new year? Yeah, I have actually glacier trip uh, on the calendar for July. Yes, July over the July 4th holiday. I'm probably crazy because there'll probably be a million <laughs> people there, but really excited to be doing that. Um, it's going to be the first time we've traveled in a little while. Uh, and, you know, I always get into to the what stories I would like to write mode at this time. Um, so I've definitely got to spend some of the next couple of weeks sketching those out and really committing to to doing that reporting. But yeah, you're you're inspiring me. I would love to uh, would love to get some permits myself. I, and you'll you'll appreciate this one. One of my friend's daughters is actually getting married in Yosemite next September, so exciting, very oh, that's, exciting. That's really fun. Where is the glacier that you're going to go to? Well, in I'm going to the Glacier National oh, Park. Oh, Glacier National Park. Oh, I thought yep. you were going to like yep, a yep. glacier. No, I have been to a glacier, but, <laughs> but no, this one I'm going to. Yeah, I'm going to the park. Uh, I've never been there. Uh, I do. 
I was supposed to go to Yosemite this fall, but I had to change that for personal reasons and hoping hoping maybe to get that back on the calendar for next year. So anyway, oh, I could chit chat with you for a while, but I guess we should, should uh, get down to business. So let's get down to the week in review. Okay, Jesse, I'm going to put you on the spot first. You wrote a really intriguing story this week with the headline, Carbon Credits for Oil Companies? Question mark. It, I, I have to say it was a fascinating read. I was uh, p- pleased to work with you on this one, um, on the edits, not on the reporting, because you did that all on your own. But um, I just thought this model was very intriguing. The idea, number one, that um, oil wells, uh, which are a big culprit when it comes to methane emissions, that maybe they could be a source of carbon credits. So curious um, about, you know, how you got on this story and what you've learned along the way. Yeah, I actually got on this story uh, because I met with uh, Sam Arnold at Verge. So a little plug for our events of (laughs) finding stories by actually talking to people in real life. Um, And he sort of told me his business model. And yeah, it's basically talked about, it's basically, Basically, they, these oil credits are attacking a problem that it, you know, I didn't really knew we had, but it's kind of common knowledge in the oil industry, which is that oil wells are never plugged. Like they're never sort of capped with cement and said, we're done, you know, pulling up this oil from this particular well because it's just really expensive and it's more expensive to just kind of like keep it open and have it just kind of operate at a low level and keep belching methane emissions than to spend the money to actually cap it. But something else that I didn't really understand is that these wells are kind of sold down the pipeline. So once an oil well stops producing quite as well uh, for a certain, you know, a big company like a Chevron, they will pass it down to a slightly less tier, higher, uh, they'll pass it down to a slightly um, you know, less sophisticated or less big um, oil company. And then they'll keep passing it down to smaller and smaller oil companies until somebody just abandons it. And each one of those people does, each one of those companies doesn't have to deal with the um, abandonment liabilities or capping it. So what these two companies are doing, Zero Six and Carbon Path, is trying to kind of cut off that supply chain mechanism that happens by going into not the big, big oil companies, but a couple tiers down and saying, hey, we will pay you to cap this oil well by creating a carbon credit that we can sell on the market. And that carbon credit covers the methane that sometimes covers the methane that we just talked about belching and also sometimes and also covers the um, oil that's left in the ground as a reserve. Um, and yeah, so basically like, the big thing that I took away from it is that it's a capitalist way of, you know, doing something. So I'm going to start to do that over again. Basically, the, the biggest thing that I took away from it is that it's a market solution to keep fossil fuels in the ground and create an incentive for companies um, to not just keep pulling up oil mm-hmm. so that there's a mm-hmm. different there's a different economic model here that could be exploited. You know, it's interesting because these, yeah, these companies might not have that recourse, but the larger companies, that's, you know, we know that there's a lot of carbon capture and storage projects going on with their, you know, they want to keep the production on going on certain wells. So um, they're putting in place the, the mechanisms for capturing the emissions and trying to deal with it that way. 
I'm just sort of curious. So like you mentioned, it's really expensive to cap these wells. So th these credits would basically provide a, an incentive. So is there, is there, are there regulations that would help um, make this more viable? Uh, you know, are there the places where this might happen first from, from your reporting? So there are a couple. There's actually been some federal pushes to um, cap oil wells from the Biden administration on specifically federal land. And uh, Colorado actually has some regulations that, um, you know, is forcing oil wells to stop just abandoning them and to actually go back and cap them. But in, but a lot of times there's not really a regulation that is, you know, that can tell an oil company to like stop producing from an asset. Mm -hmm. It's just not really mm -hmm. allowed for in our society for a government regulation to be like, you're not allowed to use this asset anymore. So I think that is where the sort of market carbon uh, credit model is coming in. And it's also a way of providing the funds to a company to like, to have the money to cap the oil well. Mm -hmm. So you are reporting on, you've reported on two companies in this particular story. Are the credits actually available yet? Tell me, tell me what the timeline is. And, and actually, you know, have they gotten any feedback from the marketplace? Yeah, so the, the credits, they're definitely kind of in pilot phases. There was a pilot done by one company, Carbon Path, in October, and Zero Six is planning to have their first credit on the market next year sometime. Um, sorry, what was the second half of your question? <laughs> yeah, just how, 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 what is the response? You know, like, it's, it's, it's odd to me. I mean, it's like I saw the headline, I thought, wow, that's just like, there's so many things about that headline that make it go, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Talking to both of the the CEOs of these companies, you know, they definitely are getting some pushback from the marketplace or even just sort of like, I don't know, like icky feelings about paying oil companies to do something that they probably should already be doing. The other part of it is that, you know, Sam Arnold told me that a lot of companies view this as an avoidance credit because, you know, you're avoiding the fossil fuels from being pulled up from the from the well and being burned. But he really kind of quibbled with that. He thought that like this is actually making the world a better place. And he's found that a lot of companies are moving away from avoided emissions in favor of removals. Um, and I think that's fair when it comes to things like forestry credits, like protecting forests and um, protecting nature. There's maybe been a little bit of controversy over if those are actually really helping the environment as much. But I think this is a little bit more straightforward of like, you are actively leaving fossil fuels in the ground and you're actively stopping methane from being released. So I understand why he's kind of quibbling with it a bit. Okay. Well, good story. I recommend uh, people read it and at least know what's going on in the marketplace. Let's move on to our next piece. It's by our colleague Elsa Wenzel and it's fascinating look at vitamins. What's in that pill? Um, and, you know, Elsa, and I, I just, I really didn't think about this. I mean, I, I take a couple of supplements myself, um, but basically Elsa reports on the fact that while you know exactly what's in a supplement, like how much vitamin D and where, you know, you don't know where it came from. Um, so she writes about a couple of startups or a couple of companies that are actually, you know, sort of pushing the envelope on this. Um, one, the one of them, and the one that I'm, I'm really actually fascinated to learn more about is called Ritual. It's a six-year-old direct-to-consumer vitamin company. And they see um, the, the lack of transparency as a business opportunity. So 
in addition to the, you know, obviously the the required FDA disclosures on their 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 bottles and you know telling us what's in it and you know what daily allowance it is. This company is actually um, getting really granular about where these nutrients come from. So, for example, you know it's got a vegan vitamin D three via lichen, <laughs> like in one of the bottles. It's net note, and then it, it, it methylated, methylated folate, and it really it goes really deep into the um, into the the origins of of these these substances. So I, I found that very intriguing. Um, you know, I'm just curious. Well, I I I'm going to be cheeky and ask you, do you take supplements? <laughs> like, I, like, I mean, just... <laughs> I don't. I feel like I have like a, a mother who was like, you'll usually get all your supplement, everything that you need from like a healthy, balanced diet. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. also that mother in her like older age has started taking a lot of vitamins and has the whole pill box and everything filled with all these different things. So maybe I should start considering that the person I learned it from is now taking vitamins. Um, but the thing that I was looking at was um, Ritual's actual pr- uh, protein powder that comes from peas and that's grown on a regenerative farm because, I mean, mm-hmm. that's my beat of, you know, regenerative agriculture and food. So I thought that was a super interesting that they're not just, you know, kind of tracing where these things are coming, where these ingredients are coming from, but they're also actively trying to create a more sustainable supply chain for some of these ingredients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, again, one of the things that really struck me is how few companies in the vitamin industry actually have this information. Um, there is a, a a label called the, um, it's from the United States Pharmacopoeia, USP. It's a verification for um, the some of these things. And it applies to only 1% of the vitamins and supplements overall. And and they they, they mention a number of the the products here. It's just a I, I love Elsa does a really good job at this. She'll get just kind of personally get interested in a topic and she goes deep. I mean, this is a really well reported story. So I I highly recommend it for those who are thinking about traceability and ingredient traceability. I, I do think this is an area that deserves more attention. You know, I I one of the things I think a lot of, about is the intersection between sustainability and human health, which I feel like doesn't get nearly enough attention. And considering how many people take supplements, yourself excluded, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And actually, I really only take um, at this time one, Um, but it just, it really does make a difference. And a lot of people are putting these things into their bodies. Um, So it really, I think is it deserves more attention, so. Anything else you want to say about this before we move on to our I next I just piece? think it was really interesting for Elsa to ta- tackle the vitamin and supplement space because I think they have a reputation sometimes of not having to be the most transparent in other ways. Like there, there's a lot of skepticism around the regulations around vitamins and supplements. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there was, you know, a lot of times, you know, there's I, I always think back to like the Instagram early days where sugar bear hair was like a a gummy bear that was supposed to be a vitamin that was supposed to help your hair growth. And 
then they found out like they did some lab testing on it and there was like lead in all of it. So I just think it's a really interesting that she was able to to dive into this. And I did think that if I was to take a vitamin, if I didn't live in sunny California, I would probably have to take vitamin D in the summer, in the winters, just to, to stay right. happy. That's right. Yeah, that's the one they always tell me I have to take, uh, you know, because you don't get enough of it. But yeah, great, great uh, article. Um, aside from Ritual, the, uh, Amway is the other company that's considered and it's short for American Way. And the label is the uh, Neutralite brand that they're doing some uh, interesting things as well. Um, different along different lines than Ritual, but yeah, for sure. Take a look at the story. And with that, let's move on to the last piece for this week um, by Joel. It's one of his columns. Could insurers pull the plug on renewable energy? Surprise, surprise. Um, this is one of the best stories of this week. It is actually the best, best story this week. Um, and it really, you know, it tackles just the the dilemma that insurers face about climate risk, right? So on the one hand, um, they're, they're looking for ways to take out of their portfolios things that are risky from a climate standpoint. So like, you know, it's tougher to to um, get insurance for a coal plant or for, you know, investments that are potentially um, vulnerable to wildfires or, or so on and so forth. Um, this particular uh, take on it that Joel wrote this week is the dangers that um, we might face as, as we see um, insurers looking at renewable energy projects and looking at where they're sited. So um, he talks about some of the damage that was done to um, a solar farm in Texas. Uh, in, in one example that he cites, U.S. insurers are expected to pay out more than $300 million in claims due to what wind and hailstorms in Texas this year. That's one of the stats that he, that he quotes. Um, and, you know, we we we've heard about solar farms being damaged. I think there was one. I, I'm I'm not I'm forget I'm missing the uh, I'm missing the actual data point here. But one of the farms that he mentions was was badly damaged. Um, so you know the fact is that as as renewable energy projects expand throughout the country, they're going to be in places that are vulnerable to hurricanes, to tornadoes, to excessive snow and so forth. And that could be a challenge for um, insurance, and which could in turn be a, a challenge for financing. So what stood out for you in this particular story, Jesse? Yeah, I think um, that quote, that is a pull quote in the article, with no insurance, there's no finance, there's no projects, there's no transition. I think that's kind yeah. of the big takeaway. We don't think about how much insurance allows people to to take risks, I guess, is and which may seem obvious now that I say it out loud, but it's just not something I really thought about before. And I also think there's sort of um, a vicious cycle here where like, you know, climate change is causing these um, more of these like climate events that are causing insurance companies to have to pay out more, which means they might not, you know, take more risks on other projects that could finance the transition, which means we're going to have more climate change, weather catastrophes. And it just sounds like a, a death spiral to me yeah. right now. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, it at the very least, this is going to require some new thinking in terms of business models. So one of the things that one of the issues that Joel raises is the idea that, you know, a project developer might have to put up some of the money and they might have to self-insure that they might have to build this into their model. So the financing of these of these installations could 
could be changing. But yeah, it's definitely something to watch. Um, I, you know, I also have to say one of the the more revelatory examples in the story was like a ship anchor dragging across an o- underseas cable, bringing power from an offshore wind farm. Um, and it like the fact that it could take months to repair, even years to repair something like that. So yeah, it's just, these are those, those things you don't think about <laughs> when, when we talk about yep. the transition. Yeah. So great story, Joel. We appreciated it. Thanks for the education. Earlier this month, we asked podcast listeners to send us a one minute long audiogram for our annual Outlook episodes, answering the following question. As a sustainability professional, what is your hope for 2023? I am pleased to say we were flooded with responses. Jesse, I know you listened to some. Anything jump out for you? Well, you know, continuing on Joel's topic, there was Laura Zizzo talked about, you know, using climate related risk just like any other corporate risk and not siloed in the sustainability function. And I think that was something I saw across all the recordings is that all these sustainability professionals just want sustainability to become a normal part of business and not considered an extra or an add on or something they're doing on the side. Um, And that's really the goal for 2023, I think. Perfect. Thanks for that summation. So we're going to give over the rest of this episode to reflections from 11 members of the sustainability community. We'll hear from more of you in our first episode of 2023 on January 6th. Hello, my name is David Antonioli. I am the CEO of Vera, the leading standard setter for climate action and sustainable development. One of the most powerful tools for fighting climate change is the voluntary card market. And yet, It is still beset by significant uncertainty driven by both confusion and concerns about integrity. So looking at 2023, my hope is that on the supply side of things, we can bring some clarity to what constitutes a real carbon credit. This is the work of the Integrity Council for Voluntary Carbon Markets. And if it can establish a credible threshold of performance for what counts as a real carbon credit, companies will know what they can buy. On the demand side of things, my hope is that we can bring some clarity to what constitutes a credible claim when companies purchase and retire carbon credits ideally as a complement to internal reductions. This is the work of the Voluntary Carbon Markets Integrity Initiative, and if it can establish the kinds of claims companies can make, that will be a game changer. In short, by providing a lot more clarity, the voluntary carbon market can create a powerful expectation that companies around the world need to take action on climate, going beyond taking on net zero targets to performing against them and investing in carbon credit projects that deliver real action on the ground. Whether those are natural climate solutions that also support local communities and biodiversity, whether those are technological solutions that drive investment in new important technologies. I hope 2023 is the year a majority of companies across the world will not simply be asking whether to engage with the voluntary card market, but rather start figuring out how to engage with it to become part of the solution and drive corporate excellence, enabling the voluntary market to move from being a niche market to one that is part of the mainstream. Hi, I'm Meredith Ricefield, Director of Carbon Policy and Strategic Partnerships at Indigo Ag. This year, I'm hoping to see speed and scale. There are promising solutions out there right now that we need to exponentially ramp up to meet their full potential. We know, for example, that regenerative agriculture needs to make up a minimum of 40% of global cropland by 2030 to keep 1.5 degrees alive. The speed of progress needs to triple. I see reasons to be optimistic about our ability to meet that challenge. From trends in financing to new partnerships and pre-competitive collaborations, we've laid some solid groundwork. 
it's time to turn more pilot programs into systemic shifts. Happy holidays. My name is Trisha Carey. I'm Chief Commercial Officer at RenewCell. My hope for 2023 is that we increase collaborations and decrease greenwashing. We need to stop looking at the past and have a future where we put people at the center of circularity. That's how we make fashion circular together. Hi, GreenBiz. My name is Vita Dixit, and I am a sustainability consultant with Schneider Electric. As a sustainability professional, my hope for 2023 is that consumer packaged goods companies develop strategies and initiatives to support a more closed loop economy. Some of the largest names in the business have committed to reducing plastic waste through the inclusion of recycled content within products and improved recyclability for the end of life of products. However, an estimated 40 million households in the U.S. don't have access to recycling services, and unfortunately, less than 10% of plastics are reclaimed and recycled nationwide. In order to create a truly circular value chain, my hope is that CPG organizations will play a more active role with waste disposal companies, local waste management infrastructure, and industry-funded organizations aimed at improving the fragmented U.S. recycling system. Hi, Heather. I'm Rachel Delacour. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Sweep. In 2023, I really hope to see business and financial organizations use carbon data to inform their decisions and strategies. Like the, you know, the digital revolution two decades ago, uh, this is a transformational move for any company looking to survive and thrive in the future. And by leveraging the power of carbon data, organizations will have more resilient um, financial health, supply chain operations, and meet expectations from employees, investors, and customers. So it's simple. Carbon is not a limitation, but a creative force for growth. Once they realize and act on this, they'll see innovation and positive impact unfolding. That's how they can become a forever company. Something that is super important for us, that forever company concept. And we are helping them. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Kevin Dole, Senior Sustainability Advisor at Green Impact. We are a consulting firm that specializes in greenhouse gas accounting and sustainability advisory services. In 2023, I'm really looking forward to watching the carbon software marketplace mature. It's my hope that we will see robust development in the calculation of scope 3 emissions. These are, of course, supply chain emissions, and they are the biggest source of emissions for most companies. The Greenhouse Gas Corporate Protocol lists 15 categories under Scope 3, but there is currently no user-friendly software tool on the market that covers all 15. Making it easy for companies to quickly and accurately calculate their emissions in all three scopes is going to be crucial to helping them reach their 2030 goals. Hi, my name is Claire Gallagher. I'm the National Sustainability Manager at Built. One of my hopes for 2023 is that measuring the embodied carbon of our buildings becomes business as usual. 2022, there's been a huge amount of interest and engagement, enthusiasm and learning how to do uh, embodied carbon calculations and, and what to do. And 
I would love to see this translate into reductions in 2023. I think the embodied carbon associated with our buildings is really low hanging fruit, huge opportunities to make enormous reductions. So if we can reduce the 11% of global carbon that comes from the embodied carbon of buildings, that would be an awesome target and result for 2023. Hi, my name is Sarah Reed, Director of Programs at the Electrification Coalition a nonprofit that is focused on advancing the deployment of electric vehicles. My hope for 2023 is that we see a great expansion of thoughtful electric vehicle efforts nationwide, in addition to the already engaged states, cities, and companies. I hope to see supply chain challenges loosen in the vehicle sector, and combined with the influx of federal funding, I see a huge opportunity for more community engagement and the ability for cities of all sizes in every state to access this funding for innovative, impactful, once-in-a-generation emission-reducing projects. Hello, my name is Jameson Hartman. I'm a vice president at RET Ventures. Uh, we are a real estate tech-focused venture capital fund. Uh, my hope for 2023 would probably be a broader adoption of both affordable and scalable EV charging across the rental housing industry. Uh, and what I mean by that is, uh, especially as EV ownership grows, uh, a big issue nowadays is the network of chargers, the availability of the chargers, the reliability of chargers. Um, and you see is in communities, uh, especially low-income and affordable communities, there's uh, lower density of chargers. And you know, for the broader uh, transition toward electrification, we need to make EV ownership more equitable. You know, low-income affordable communities should be able to buy and own EVs. And so to do so, we need to make EV charging more scalable and more affordable so that at these communities, individuals have access to chargers. Hi, I'm Laura Zizzo, co-founder and CEO of Manifest Climate, a software solution helping companies understand, manage, and communicate climate-related risk and opportunities. My hope and expectation for 2023 is that companies will understand that climate-related risk and opportunity are like any other core business risk and should be managed and governed by finance, strategy, and risk management functions rather than a siloed sustainability function. A change in climate mindset will bring climate-related risk and opportunity, issues related to both the transition to a net-zero economy and adapting and becoming more resilient to the physical impacts of climate change like water availability and more extreme weather, into the core of business. Everyone has a role in ensuring companies and in turn our economy is more resilient to a changing climate. Investors will be looking for communication of a climate story in line with global best practices like the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, and companies will rise to the challenge. Hi, this is Nora Lovell Marchant, Head of Sustainability at American Express Global Business Travel. We're working to decarbonize travel and aviation with technical innovation, nature-based solutions, including carbon offsets and insets with sustainable aviation fuel. My hope for 2023 is that companies will raise ambition with action, meaning real climate finance. Sustainability is already a CEO level issue, and it's time for companies to prove progress by making this a chief financial officer issue. For companies making sustainability a competitive advantage, to the victors belong the spoils. And in the case of climate investment, the whole world benefits. Finally, to quote the infamous Yvonne Chouinard of Patagonia, I hope in 2023 people act less like consumers and more like citizens. If you are lucky enough to live in a democratic society, then get out and vote. Make politicians and governments represent your values.
that's a wrap for the week and for the year. Thanks to Jesse Klein for lending her voice to this episode. Joel and I will be back on January 6th with another edition of Green Biz 350. Until then, on behalf of the entire Greenbiz Group team, thanks for listening and best wishes for a peaceful and joyous holiday season shared with the family of your heart. Signing off for now, I'm Heather Clancy. Take care and be well. This episode is sponsored by Schneider Electric. Climate change is here, and so is the requirement to understand and report the risks that it brings to your business. As your partner in sustainability, Schneider Electric can help you navigate the winds of change. To see how, visit se.com forward slash climate risk.